All right, Jabosai, good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Tamato sponsors for the month of Av. Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Sherman Drushos this month in honor of their grandchildren. Tikva, Esther, Simcha, Avigail, Milana, Melisenta. May they grow to become the best version of themselves. For Yehuda ben Michal, may he together with Kol Chol Yisrael experience a complete and enduring refuah. Our week of learning sponsors, Binyamin Fleischman, in memory of his father, Shmuel Yudel. Ben Binyamin Yaakov, Zichron Levrach, we open the merit of our Talmud Torah. The Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. And Selma Wolf, with immense gratitude to Hashem for the complete refuah of her granddaughter, Dr. Carrie Davis. May she together, may she have a continued refuah together with Kol Cholais. So with that, let us begin the beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Memzayin 47. We are going to pick up Emir Hashem on the last two lines of Men Vav on the days 46b, where the Gemara says as follows. Remember, again, we're going through the different pieces stated in the Mishnah, really very interesting sugyas ahead of us in the days to come. So the, so the Gemara said two lines up from the bottom, Shtar Ubiya. So remember, again, the Mishnah explained to us that an Av, a father, is entitled ultimately again to the Kesef Kiddushin, to Kesef and to Bia, with the Kiddushin of his daughter. So what does this mean? The Gemara says, well, so obviously what it means is, in Kesef, I understand. The father betrothes his daughter, so Lamaisi gets the Kesef. Shtar, Shtar, he goes ahead and receives the Shtar on her behalf. Bia, he has the ability to give her over in marriage to another man. So the Gemara says, Me know, from where do we know this? Amrakra, the Pasik says, ish acher. The Pasik says, She will be to another man. Iskish. We already know this from, we haven't gotten to it yet, but from last cycle, we know from our Kiddushin days, that one of the interesting drushas that we have from Kiddushin is that there is a connection between all three mechanisms of Kiddushin. Kiddushin could be affected in three different ways, Kesef, Shtar, and Bia, and there is a strong connection between those three ways. So once we know that a father is entitled to go ahead and receive the Kesef Kiddushin, from his daughter, so Lamaisa therefore is able to receive the star and also able to give her over in Bia. So the Gemara goes back to the Gemara says, Zakai ben Mitziasa, he is entitled to her findings. So where do we know this? So we'll say, what's, what's the Pshat? So again, on a basic level, this means that his daughter, if she goes ahead and she finds something, the item that she finds belongs to the father. So the Gemara says as follows, why is this? of Memzayim Mishum Eva. It will say this is to prevent animosity. What's the animosity here? Take a look at Rashi. Now, it is actually interesting. It's always interesting sometimes the, 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 the printing errors that occurred in Rashi over time. Because if you read this, it says, Since a father is not Chayiv in Mizonos. So I will say, if you look at the Hagos Vitziyunim, I think almost everybody has this in the Gemara, right? The Hagos Vitziyunim, the, the little footnote, Dalid, he says, Higia de'ihu. It's not de'ino, it's de'ihu. De'chevan de'ihu chayiv. It's not de'ino, the father's not, bless you. The father's not chayiv. It's because the father is chayiv. Such an important, one, one, literally, again, it's a letter. It's a letter. It's a nun versus a hey. It's fascinating. Since the father is chayef to provide for the mazonos of his daughter, 
if she were able to go ahead and keep that which she finds, Ika Eva, there's going to be animosity. In other words, this what's interesting about this is as follows. The assumption is like this. If a father is going to have to go ahead and support his, support his daughter, support his daughter, so then Halacha Lamaisa, again, if I, when she finds something, that she go, so she go to the house, you know, she go to the father, because at least if she finds something, it helps, helps to offset the cost of her support. But if he has to support her, plus she gets to keep whatever it is that she earns, then Lamaisa, that could cause some level of animosity. So interestingly enough, what's gonna happen with the animosity? Below Zayin Lasu. What we're concerned about is, so we'll say, when you see a concern about animosity, you say, okay, ill will. It's not just ill will, it's the concern that ill will will lead him, will lead the father to cease to support his daughter. Therefore, again, Chazal instituted that halacha lamaisa, the father gets to keep, the father gets to keep whatever it is that she finds. Okay, so the Gemara goes right to Furthermore, again, the father gets her earnings. So we know From where do we know this? From where do we know this? How do I know that the earnings of a daughter go to her father? Because the Pasik talks about the ability over here of a father to sell his daughter as a maidservant. Just like a maidservant. So we'll say, so here's what's interesting. So we know that a father has the ability to sell his daughter. Now remember again, it will say, the, the halachos that we're talking about over here really apply to a girl through Naros. This is a little bit different over here because remember, when can a father sell his daughter until? Up until she becomes an Ara. After she becomes an Ara, a father can no longer sell his daughter as an Amo. But again, nevertheless, we're going to see how the drush is going to work. So the Pasik says that a man has the ability to sell his daughter as a maidservant. So therefore, again, Ma Amo, Maisia del Rabo, just like a maidservant, anything she earns belongs to the master. So to a daughter, anything that she earns ultimately comes to her father, to which the Gemara says, like we just mentioned before, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I appreciate the drasha. But based on that drasha, when should a father be entitled to his daughter's earnings? It's only when, when he's able to sell her as an amo. When is a father able to sell his daughter as an ama? Only when she's a kitana. Only when she's a kitana. <clears throat> but ultimately, again, about na'ara, delo matzi mazbinlo, maisia deha, maisia deha, didahava. And I will say, according to, again, according to this logic, that a father's entitlement to his daughter's earnings is based on the fact that he could, that, uh, that he could sell her as an ama. And we see just as an ama, just as an ama, ultimately, again, the master keeps the earnings. So to, again, a girl, a father of daughter, a father keeps her earnings. Great. So that applies as long as a father can sell his daughter as an ara. So that tells me, sorry, as an ama, that tells me that a father has a right to keep his daughter's earnings when? Up until the time that she, through the time that she is a kitano. Through the time that she is a kitano, once she reaches Naros, father can no longer say, say, sell her as an amo, and therefore Allah says should not be entitled to keep her earnings as well. To which the Gemara says, no, to which the Gemara says, Mistabra, Da'aviyahavu. No, it doesn't make sense. Even through Naros, even through Naros, ultimately, again, the father should be able to keep the earnings of his daughter. How so? See, listen to this. 
So the Gemara says, if you say that the girl's earnings do not belong to her father, they both say, this is such a fascinating argument. So, the Gemara, so watch this. So just to, just to follow the progression here. So remember, what's our question? Well, right, what's step one? Step one is the Mishnah. What does the Mishnah say? What does the Mishnah say? A father is entitled to his daughter's earnings. Great. Gemara asks, how do I know that? Right? Gemara answers, Amo. The fact that a father could sell his daughter as a maidservant tells us that just as a maidservant's earnings are the property of her master, so too, again, the daughter's earnings are the property of her father. Gemara says, great. Only problem is that only works through when? Katnos, right? Only when she's a katano. When she becomes an hour, you can no longer sell her as an amo. To which the Gemara says, okay, pause that. Let me show you something else. The Gemara says, so it's always interesting. Gemara says, it has to be that a father is entitled to his, mother, to, to his daughter's earnings. It's an interesting argument. It has to be that he's entitled. How so? Because a father has the ability to marry off his daughter. Now, I both say, how long does the father's right to marry off his daughter extend, extend until? Bagros. Excellent, right? Up until she becomes a Bogaras, a father has the right. Now, I say, now watch this. The fact that a father has a right to go ahead and sell off his daughter, I'm sorry, marry off his daughter, <coughs> marry off his daughter indicates to us that he's entitled to her earnings. Otherwise, how would a father be able to go ahead and marry off his daughter? After all, when a father is marrying off his daughter, by definition, that must mean that what? He has the ability to stop her from working. In other words, he's going to schedule the wedding, he's going to schedule the makeup, the hairdresser, all this stuff. But one second, she's got a job. She's got a job. The fact that he can marry her off, the fact that he can marry her off indicates that he controls her earnings. Because if not, the mere act of marriage would ultimately, again, be mevatal, her ability to earn money. And if those earnings were hers, then she should be able to act, ask, ask for compensation from her father for lost wages. Pretty incredible. Rashi says, Zobir Pakasa, Bitulasa. So it's pretty it's such a fascinating argument. So the Gemara says, Parachravachai, Emo, Dioivlaschar Pakasa. Okay. Well, I can answer that by saying, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe if a father marries off his Nara daughter, and the Nara daughter has a job, and getting married causes her lost wages. Maybe inachinami, the father is obligated to pay her lost wages. Maybe such a model like that exists. In other words, if the father doesn't take her working schedule into account and schedules everything and she misses work and she loses wages, maybe inachinami, when the girl is in Nara, the father is obligated to pay her those lost wages. Listen to this, it's fascinating. Inami, the other possibility is, the master la balayla, the other pastors are talking about a situation where the father marries off his daughter at night. So the assumption, the assumption is, whatever her job is, she's not working at night. Right? She works during the day. Inami de master la b'shabasos The other possibility is that maybe he marries her off on Shabbos and Yamtiv when she wouldn't be working anyway. So what's that? Fascinating answer. So if you look at Tosis for just a moment, we're not going to do the whole thing, but Tosis in the wide lines, what do you mean he's marrying her off Shabbos and Yantiv? You're not allowed to get married Shabbos and Yantiv. Rashi says over here, sorry, Tosis, the Maslav Shabbos is Yom Tovim, it's in the wide lines, about five lines in. 
Vesamachta bechagecha v'lo b'ishtecha. Also, we learn this Gemara. Pasuk says, Vesamachta bechagecha, you shall rejoice in your yomtiv. And Chazal darshan on that, you should rejoice on yomtiv with yomtiv and not with your wife. And also, of course, you should rejoice with your wife. What it means is that the simcha of yomtiv should come from yomtiv itself and not from any other form of simcha. So I will say, we learn from that, we learn from that, simcha So I will say, so remember again, this is actually very interesting. So the idea of it, the Gemara says, I will say, why don't we get married on Shabbos and Yomtiv? It's actually an interesting idea. Why don't we get married on Shabbos? If you think about it, Shabbos is such a great time for chasanas. First of all, you significantly cut down on your guest list, right? That's number one. You only have people who are walking distance, which is a fantastic money saver. No band, right? By the way, very little hot food selection also. Now, you know, you have hot food. But I'm saying you would, what, what's the pshat? We'll say, so remember, you're not allowed to get married on Shabbos, that's a din That's a din So the din is, it's a gzera, it's fascinating. Gzera mishum mekachu memkar. It's exera because of business dealings, because marriage involves kinyonim. And we don't make kinyonim on Shabbos because kinyonim are transactional. Anything that is transactional falls under the rabbinic ban of business-like practices. And why did Chazal ban business-like practices? Because they may lead you to ksiva, writing. So the malacha we're concerned about is writing, is writing. The din is therefore no business-like practices that can lead you to writing. And the outgrowth of that is any transaction. I will say, by the way, that's a, just, just in the sense, like, this is why if you give a gift, if let's say you're going somewhere on Shabbos, and you want to bring a gift to your host, so the truth is giving someone something on Shabbos and them to be koning it on Shabbos is a problem. It's a problem. Ideally, what should be done is the gift should be given on Erev Shabbos. That way your host has the ability to acquire it on Shabbos. Or before Shabbos, you give it to a third party to acquire it for your host. A third party could acquire it for your host. But again, it's amazing. Giving someone a simple bottle of wine on Shabbos. It, again, there are, ways, there are ways around it. Ways around it. But just to point out, it's not an ideal setup. Again, that's why, don't get, that's why we don't get married on Shabbos again. So where does this come up? On Chalamay. Because Chalamay would be a great time to have a chasana. But why don't we get married on Chalamay? That's v'samachta bechagecha. Because you should rejoice on Yom Tov because of Yom Tov. Bechagecha v'lo b'ishtecha. So how could the Gemara say over here that the father will marry off his daughter on Shabbos Yom Tov? So we'll say, say for when the Gemara says Shabbos and Yom Tov. So we don't know what Shabbos means. Yom Tov, the Gemara is asking, it means Chalamay. Chalamai. So what's called? But you can't get married in Chalamai. For Joshua Gemuri, Kidamar Bechagiga, Davim Midaoraisa. They both say, by the way, this is actually pretty wild. If you think about this, the inability to get married on Shabbos and Yom Tiv itself is really only what? Dirabanan. The inability to get married on Chalamai is Daoraisa. Fascinating. Right? Because again, the inability to get married on Shabbos and Yom Tiv is because of Zera Mekachu Memkar, unless you come to Ksiva, Dirabanan. The zero on chalamayim is v'samachta bechagecha v'lo b'ishtecha daraisa. Wild. To which the Gemara says, so what? So 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 Tosis is saying. So, but yet the Gemara says the Gemara floats this idea 
that the father can either marry off her daughter, his daughter at night, so she's not missing work, or Shabbos and she's not missing work. Says Tosas, what is Shabbos? You know, to me, this is incredible. He says, Shabbos said, the idea over here is something. So let's just go with this first answer to Tosas. Tosas says that when the Gemara says, on Shabbos and Yamtiv, it means the little bit of time that Tosef is Shabbos, Tosef is Yamtiv. There's a din to be Mosef Mikodesh Alachol. Ultimately, again, to add on to Shabbos and to Yamtiv. And that Tosefes, in many respects, has certain elements of Shabbos and Yamtiv itself. So what is the Gemara suggesting over here? The Gemara is suggesting that the father can marry off his daughter when? On the Tosefes, on the little bit of time before Shabbos, the little bit of time before Yom Tov, where Bepashtos, she's not working. So, okay, so just, mostly just a, a fascinating Tosefes. Tosefes gives a second answer about giving her over to the Shluchi Av, which we do here. If you finish off, he says, Oh, Ina Mikishamasra Av Lishluchi Habal. Okay, so we'll go with the first answer of Tosis, that this idea is that maybe when the Gemara says Shabbos and Yomtev, bless you, it's referring to Tosefes Shabbos, Tosefes Yomtev, the time before Shabbos and Yomtev. Okay, so the Gemara, let's go back to the Gemara. Hello, so let's go back. Today for Abosai, but here's what's interesting. So here's what's interesting. So now, I understand that the drasha, the drasha of from helps me understand that a father would be entitled to his daughter's earnings while she is a kitana. What I'm missing right now is what? What I'm missing right now is what? Ultimately, again, nara. Nara. So the Gemara, again, is suggesting not a drasha, but a logical argument. If a father has the right to marry off his nara daughter, that means essentially he controls her schedule. So if he could, so let's say, because if he didn't control the schedule, how would he be able to marry her off? After all, if she has a job, he's going to cause her lost wages. The fact that we're not concerned about lost wages indicates that he's entitled to her earnings. To which the says, it's not a good argument. I'll tell you why. Possibility number one is, maybe he has to pay her for lost earnings. That's possibility one. Possibility two, maybe he's limited to marrying her off at a time when what? She wouldn't lose earnings, such as when nighttime, or before Shabbos, before Yom Tif, to which the Gemara comes along and says, you're right. To which the Gemara says, Ela, kitana lo hashta zabuni So therefore, at the end of the day, let's take a step back. Kitana, we're all agreed. We're all agreed, right? That halacha lamaisa, a father is entitled to his kitana daughter's earnings, right? How do I know this? How do I know this? Because if he could sell her as an ama, as a maid servant, he's certainly entitled to her earnings. I said, what about Nara? Ki itzterich kra le Nara. So I say, when do I need the Pasuk? The Pasuk comes to teach me Nara. Because the, the, the answer doesn't seem to fully make sense. Of course it makes sense. I just don't understand it. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, ki itzterich kra le Nara. It's an important piece of information. I will say, by the way, you think about, you think about, by the way, how Rashi learned Gemara. Right? Imagine learn, be, right, being Rashi and learning Gemara without Rashi. In other words, it, 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 gives you, it gives you just a new and profound appreciation for the godless of Rashi. Right? Rashi had to take these cryptic statements that, that 
we, we just would not understand. And he had to work it through to create this period. It's, 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 it's incredible. So when they say that Rashi and Ruach HaKodesh, you begin to understand because there are certain things that Rashi understood from the Gemara that it just doesn't appear one could really understand just based on their own intellectual acumen. Right? Even, even if you're an Okerharim, and even if you're a Sinai, there's only so much you could understand from the words. Rashi HaKadosh HaKodesh. Rashi HaKodesh. Look at, look at this statement. Kitzrich Krav Nara. Rashi says, V'yav Agav De'ikar Krav B'Ketanak Siv. So we'll say, remember again, the Pasuk we're focusing on over here is V'chiyimkar Bish Es Bito Li'amo. That's the Pasuk. See, even though, again, that Pasuk is talking about a Ketano, Mihu In reality, Abbasid, this entire pasuk is redundant. Why? See, the, the, the word, the word ultimately again is, is, is extraneous. You don't need it. You don't need it in this pasuk. You don't need it because Abbasid, remember again, the pasuk itself is talking about the context of the pasuk in Parashat Mishpatim, is talking about Avadim. It's talking about Avadim. So the entire word, the Amal, is really unnecessary. The Gemara's understanding over here, why do you have the extra, the Amal? To teach us, that a father has an Amal-like relationship with his daughter, not only in Katnus, but in Na'arus as well. Now, as a Kitano, he has the ability to sell her as an Amal. As a Nara, he does not have the ability to sell her as an Amal, but he does enjoy a certain Amal-like relationship. In what way? The same way that the master gets the earnings of his Amal, a father gets the earnings of his daughter even through Naros. So a fascinating Joshua. So therefore, I will say, a father's entitlement to his daughter's earnings is all coming from the same pasa. So that again, as a katana teaches me, just as a father has a right to sell his daughter as an amal, and the master gets his amal's earnings, so to a father gets his katana daughter's earnings as his, his katana daughter's earnings. And as a na'ara, we dash in the extra word amal to teach us that halacha the father's relationship with his daughter is Amal-like, even through Naros. To teach us that although in Naros he does not have the right to sell her, he does have the right to, attain, to, to, to acquire her earnings. Incredible. Says the is an easy one. He has the ability to go and annul her vows. We've seen this drasha four times in the last week already. Right? When she is in, uh, up through Naros, up through Naros, ultimately, again, she is in her father's home, which the Gemara already darshined, Halach Lamaisa, to speak about Hafaras Nedarim, that a father has the ability to annul or to revoke his daughter's vows. He has the ability to go ahead and acquire her get on her behalf. Bose, where do we know this? Minabon, Tichsev Yatsa the Pasik says, literally again, she will leave a home and become someone's wife. Iskish, someone say, again, this Pasik is actually talking about, this is the Pasik by get. If a woman receives a get, she will leave her husband's home, she'll go, she'll marry someone else. 
So we'll say what this drasha does. We saw this gemara. Well, we haven't seen it yet, but we'll see. Gitten. We'll say the, the Torah itself is equating Yitzia and Havia, Kiddushin and Gin, Kiddushin and Gin to teach us what. That the same way that the father has the ability to receive her kesef kiddushin, the father also has, has, has the ability to what? To receive the get on her bath. Good. Well, is an interesting one. So now at this point of the Mishnah, we switch a little bit. Because the first part of the Mishnah was talking about all of the entitlements that a father has in his daughter through Narus. And now ultimately, again, the Mishnah switches gears and talks about some, an entitlement a father does not have. What does he not have? We'll say, let's say the daughter acquires property. She acquires property. Now, how would she acquire property? So we'll say the very the simplest answer is she inherits her mother. Right? Her mother passes away. Her mother passes away, and there's certain property that came to the daughter that the father technically, again, does not have ownership in. So the Mishnah says the father does not get payros. Now, we'll say, what does payros represent? Peros can mean literal peros. Like let's say she inherited an apple orchard, right? So she, she doesn't, he doesn't get to eat the apples. But peros on a bigger level means what? Usage. Usage. He does not have the right of usage in her, in, in property that is her own. A father does not have the right to go ahead and enjoy usage of property that belongs to his daughter while his daughter is alive. Now, what does he mean while his daughter is alive? Because if the daughter has to show predeceases the father, then we'll say what happens in a situation like that? The father inherits her. Father inherits her. But while the daughter is alive, if there is property that is somehow solely owned by the daughter, the father does not have usage rights in that property. Rabbi Yosir Yehuda, Rabbi Yosir Yehuda says, Ha'av ochel peros bito. say, here we come to a machlokia. See, here we go. So the Rabbonans say, the Rabbonans say, like the Mishnah, that a father does not enjoy peros in a property owned by his daughter. Rabbi Yosef Yehuda says, no, a father does enjoy peros even in property owned by his daughter. Okay, but my what's the machlokia? Yes, here we go. Tanakama savar, bishlama baal takinu the Rabbonan peri. So we'll say, according to the Tanakama, so they say like this. Now remember, Rabbi say, what does the Mishnah go on to say? In this respect, a father is different than a husband. Whereas a father will not enjoy peros in property owned by his daughter, a husband does. Right? So if a wife, if a wife owns property, if a wife owns property, husband has a right to enjoy peros. So the, the Rabbanon will say like this. Because it makes sense that Chazal gave a husband peros in his wife's property. Because if the husband doesn't have peros, we're going to see this later on because we're concerned that if a husband does not have, does not have peros in his wife's property, in his wife's property, then what? If she's taken captive, he's not going to redeem her. There might be other Shalabai's issues <laughs> I play over here. And I will say, again, I, I want to point out just, I, I, I know I say this once in a while, but it's important to say it. I will say, you know, the concept of marriage that we have, like of marrying for love or falling in love, the, these are newer concepts. These are newer concepts, right? Marriage historically was a transaction, right? It allowed for, for a woman for safety and security, for a man it allowed for children. But the notion of like feelings and love and mutual shared vision or aspirations, or we're gonna grow together, build a life together, 
that wasn't bala inya. It's like, let's survive pogroms, right? If we survive pogroms, right, and are able to have children, and most of them don't die in infancy, and we have something to eat, it's a good life. It's, it's a good life, right? You have to understand, like, like the way we conceive marriage is a to- it's panin chadashos balakan. It's it's a totally new thing. It's a totally new thing. So 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 much of the way we see that Chazal structured marriage, I will say, is reflective of how. And by the way, this is not a Jewish thing. It's not a Jewish thing. This was how the world looked at marriage. How the world looked at marriage. So I will say. So therefore, again, the Gemara says over here, according to the Rabbanon, Chazal had to give a husband peros. Because if he didn't give the husband payrolls in the wife's property, there was a concern that if the wife was taken captive, the husband wouldn't redeem her. But a father, we'll say the relationship between a father and daughter is different than a relationship between a husband and a wife. A father, Chazal didn't have to give him payrolls in, in order for the father to redeem his daughter. Father's going to redeem his daughter regardless, even without the right to payrolls. But a husband, Chazal, felt that if he didn't have certain financial entitlements, would not be as motivated to, to go ahead and redeem his wife should she be taken captive. So we'll say that's the position of the Rabbanon. Therefore, the Rabbanon, as reflected in the Mishnah, holds that a father does not have peros in his daughter's property. A husband does have peros in his wife's property. What is Rabbi Yossi? Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, Av nami nimna veloparik. So I'll say, a father, so Rabbi Yossi holds that no. A father, if he doesn't have peros, will also, if his daughter is not taken captive, if his daughter is taken captive, a father may refrain from, from going ahead and, and redeeming his daughter. You'll say, how could that be? You'll say, say, actually, it's an interesting logic because the father will say, Savar kisa nekita iluya, tezel of nafshah. The father will say, listen, she's got money. She's got money. She has her own money. She has her own account. She has her own property. She has her own payrolls. Let her redeem herself from her own property. In other words, it's not the father saying, I don't care about my daughter, right? But it's the father saying, Lemaisa, she has money. I haven't been able to use that money. Let her redeem herself from her own money. So I'll say, this is the fundamental between Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Huda and Rabban. Everyone agrees that a husband gets payrolls. And again, I'll say, we're going to see this later on. But the logic for the husband receiving payrolls is because we want the husband to redeem his wife in a situation where she's taken captive. Part of the way that we financially ensure that is by allowing him usage of the wife's property for the duration of the marriage. The shaila is, do we have to give the father the same right, father the same right as the husband, in order to ensure that he'll redeem his daughter? Rabbanon, absolutely not. The father's going to redeem his daughter regardless. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Huda, absolutely yes. We have to go ahead and give the father. So how do we paskin? We paskin. The Rabbah paskin is like the Rabbanon. And therefore, again, a father does not have peros in property solely owned by his daughter. Weiter. Nisheis. Yasra lababashu ochel. So I'll say, so now when they get married, ultimately, again, father, sorry, husband, gets rights in his, in his wife's property. So I'll say, this is fascinating. Tan So here we go. Kasav la peros ksus vekelim she'evo imami beisaviyah lebeisbailah. Mesa. Well, say here is a fascinating case. A father is writing what we call a nadin. Nadunya, dowry. Dowry. So he's sending his daughter, right? He's sending his daughter off to marriage. And he's sending her, Kasava, he's giving her peros, ksos, kalim. Clothing, utensils, property. He's giving her. So we'll say, if you look at Rashi, 
So now the girl, we'll call her Rachel, is having Erosin with Ruvain. Rachel's father writes her a very generous, you know, very generous, not a very generous dowry. It's all metaltolin, now she points out to her. We'll talk about that later. It's right, all movable property. Now, we'll say, now something interesting happens over here. Umesa. Rachel dies. Now, when does Rachel die? During Erosin. So Rachel and Ruvain had Erosin. Now Rachel dies. So what's going to be the Shaila? What's going to be the Shaila? Who gets the nan, right? Who gets the dowry? So the Gemara says, So we'll say, so this does not become the property of the husband. Everything goes back to the father. Assuming that it is the father who inherits his daughter. Everything goes back to the father. Okay, Mishum Rabbi Nassim Amru, Rabbi says, no, the husband has acquired everything as of Erosin. Very interesting, Machlokas. So we'll say, what, so what's, what are they? We'll say, perhaps the Machlokas. We'll say, again, so the Rabbanon say, Rachel dies during Erosin, property goes back to the father, husband does not acquire it. Rabbi Nassim says, no, Rachel dies during Erosin, husband acquires everything. The Gemara says, maybe this Machlokis Rabbanon, Rabbi Nasan, is the same Machlokis Rabbi Loza ben Azariah and the Rabbanon. What's the Machlokis? This nan, nis armalo onis kar shamin bein minhani sumin mina erusin gova esakol. So I will say, this is the flip case. This is the flip case. Husband dies. Husband dies. Right? Rachel's married to Ruben. Right? Husband dies. So whether, whether Rachel is widowed from erusin or from Nisuin, gova esakol. The Rabbanon say, ultimately, she collects her entire ksuva. Entire ksuva. But let's remember again, what does entire ksuva consist of? Iker and potentially tosefes. Now, there doesn't have to be additional amounts, but there could be additional. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the entire ksuva is totally collectible upon her becoming a widow, whether she's widowed during irisin or nisuin. This is the position of the Rabbanon. Rabbanon Azariah Omer, no. Minani suin govesakol. If she's widowed from Nisuin, ultimately she collects the entire Ksuva, Omina Erosin, but if from, from Erosin, Besula Govamasayim, Ba'amona Mona. But from Erosin, ultimately again, the only, you only collect what? Iker Ksuva. Iker Ksuva. So if it's the first marriage, she's a Besula, she'll get 200 Zos. Second marriage, 100 Zos. Shabbos, see, you see what's happening over here? Fundamental Machlokes. A woman is widowed. A woman is widowed. We want to talk about what does she collect from her ksuva. Rabbanon hold, whether she's widowed from Erosin or from Nisuin, she collects the entire ksuva. Rabbanon ben Azariah, depends when she's widowed. If she's widowed from Erosin, she gets Iker ksuva. If she's widowed from Nisuin, she gets the entire ksuva. The entire ksuva. So says the Gemara, Shalok HaSavla, Amenas, Amenas Lekonsa. Because ultimately, I will say, now what's Rabbi Lazar, what's Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah's logic? His logic is, a husband only means to commit himself to the entire ksuva, right? Only once what? There's an isuin. I will say, go back to Rashi for just a moment, and Amadal, just for a moment. Look at that Rashi. Last Rashi, I'm Zayin Amadal. Demand Amar, Bailo Yoresh, Nidunai, Samina, Eros, and Kraban. And Rashi just lays this out very nicely. The opinion who said, that the husband acquires the dowry from Erosin, which we'll say was the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda. I'm sorry, of Rabbi Nassan, of Rabbi Nassan. 
just before we go into the Gemara, Rashi said himself like this. So we now have two machloksim. Right? So let's go back for just a moment and just set up the two machloksim. Machlokis number one is in terms of dowry. Father writes a generous dowry to his daughter. Daughter enters into Erosin. Daughter dies during Erosin. What happens with the Nidunya? What happens with the dowry? So we've got the Rabbanon saying, husband acquires nothing. Everything goes back to the father. Rabbi Nason saying, husband acquires everything. Machlokis number two. Couple gets married. Right couple gets married, husband dies. So ultimately again, Rabbanon, wife always gets entire ksuva, entire ksuva, whether she's widowed from Erosin or from Nisuin. Rabbi Laza ben Azariah says, no. If she's widowed from Erosin, she'll get Iker Ksuba, but she only gets the full Ksuba if widowed from Nisuin. What the Gemara wants to suggest to Rabbi Zay is to align these two Machloksim. So watch this. Here we go. The opinion who holds that the, that the husband doesn't get the dowry, which was whose opinion? The Rabbanon. Right? So the opinion that says, that the husband doesn't get the dowry, Kerabalaza ben Azaria. He's going to be aligned with Rabalaza ben Azaria. It was interesting. Rabalaza ben Azaria says, right? Why? Why? Look at Rashi. Man damer lo zacha Rabalaza ben Azaria. Damer lo kasev lo ksuba ella amnas lo konsa. That was like Rabalaza ben Azaria's logic is that when she is widowed from Erisin, all she gets is what? Iker ksuba. Why? Because the tosefes, which is often more than the iker. Ultimately, again, he only has in mind, he only has in mind if they really enter into Nisuin. So that's the same logic. When does a father have in mind to really convey the Nidunya to his daughter? When? Upon Nisuin. Right? But the opinion ultimately, again, who holds that Allah the husband acquires the dowry even when his wife dies during Erosin, ultimately, again, Kirabanan. He'll hold like Kirabanan, namely, that when the woman is widowed, whether from Erosin or from Nisuin, she collects the entire Ksuba. That's how the Gemara wants to align the Machlokas. To which the Gemara says, Lo. No. The Chuli Amak, Rabbalah ben Azariah, Rabbalah said, We actually learned this Sugi already. It's not true. The Halakha follows Rabbalah ben Azariah, namely that when a woman is widowed, when a woman is widowed from Erosin, she'll collect Iker Ksuba, and from Nisuin Tosef. Rabbalah said, The truth is, we, are, we saw the Rambam, we saw the Rambam, the only time you're really entitled to a ksuba from Erosin is when, remember we learned this last week, is when the husband explicitly commits himself. If there's no explicit commitment, the ksuba obligation only kicks in into Nisbaidi Suin, right? There's no, there's no ksuba by Erosin unless someone explicitly committed themselves. But again, let, let's go with this over here for now. So really, Me'ikir Adin, we're going to pass in like Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, and therefore at most from Erosin, you're only entitled to Iker ksuba, and Tosefes only comes in when? As of Nisuin. So watch this. Here we go. Man da'amar lo zafa kerbalaza ben So okay. So both said, going back to the Nidunya case, the one who says, the one who says that the husband is not entitled to the dowry when the wife dies during Erosin, i.e. the Rabbanon, that opinion certainly aligns with Rabbalaza ben Because what Rabbalaza ben is really saying is 
the real commitment, financial commitments of marriage, really only begin as of when? Nisuin. Nisuin. Umanda Amr But what do we do with the opinion who says that what? That when the wife dies during Erisin, the husband gets to keep the dowry. What do we do with that opinion? This is fascinating. So I'll say that opinion was that's Rabbi Nelson. So Rabbi Nelson will say it's not a fair comparison. See, the case of Rabbi Lozab and Azari is talking about a husband's commitments to his wife. Husband's commitment to his wife. will say there's a strong logic there that when a husband is committing himself to his wife, that clearly the commitment is predicated on what? On what? On what? Nisuin. Let's say, why is a man going to commit himself financially to his wife just in Erison? It only makes sense that the financial commitments of marriage, husband is only committing himself after Nisuin. That's logical. Watch this. But I must remember again, the case of the dowry is not commitments from husband to wife, but rather it's commitments where? from wife to husband, or I should say, from father of the bride to the husband. Watch this. Even Rabbi Loza ben Azari would say that those commitments could start as an Erisin. Why? This is incredible. It's interesting that it could be that when it comes to financial commitments from a husband to a wife, it's clear that a husband never has a mind for those commitments to start any earlier than he's suing. But when it comes from financial commitments from the bride to the groom, or from the bride's family to the groom, the simcha of the father of the bride is even when the marriage is initialized, right? Even when the marriage is first created, even though it's not yet completed, right? So as soon as there's irisin, there's a connection, there's a chasana, there's a familial bond that's created. And according to Rabbi Nassan, Rabbi Nassim says ultimately again that halacha that's enough to create a financial commitment from the bride's side to the groom's side. I will say it's interesting. There always is this little bit of like imbalance in marriage, right? That, 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 that ultimately again, you see it over here how it's clear the husband would never financially commit himself to his wife before Nisun. But the Kala family is so happy that their daughter is, that their daughter is, is married. Even though it's just Irisin, that they'd be willing to go ahead and commit themselves financially already. So let's say, really quite fasc- fascinating. So this is the Machlokas. So again, so the Halakha Lamaisa, the Halakha Lamaisa, by, by Ksuva we know, that really there's no Ksuva until Nisuin. But we'll say, but what about this case? What about this case by the Nadunya? This is a fascinating case. So what do we do in this case over here? Father wrote a large Nadunya, ultimately again, a large dowry to his daughter, right? Rachel does Erisin with Ruvain. What happens? Ruvain dies. Who gets to keep the dowry? So I will say, I need to share with you. I must. It's, it's obligatory upon me to share with you this incredible Rambam. It's fascinating. Let's look at Rambam writes. This is in Hilchos Ishus, Parakhaf Gimel, Halacha Yid Aleph. I will say, listen how the Rambam, the Rambam does not give a clear halacha over here. Do you know why? He says, listen to what he says. Minhagos Rabos Yesh Benedunyo. The Rambam says there are many different ways that different communities handle nudunya, handle dowry. 
יש מקומו שנהגו שיכתבו בכסובס. בכסובס הנדוני יש עד. So the Ramam simply goes on and on and on. And therefore he says, Halacha למעשה, when it comes to נדוניה, what do you do? You follow מנהג המקום. Fascinating. Fascinating. So apparently, again, the way dowry was dealt with, and even the way, by the way, even the way dowry itself was recorded, and at what point in time the dowry became the property of the husband. Was it Erisin? Was it Nisuin? The Rambam says, Every community, I don't know every community, many communities had their own practices. Follow your Minag Hambakom. Fascinating. Let's go back there. Says the Gemara, So remember again, a husband is obligated to go ahead and support his wife. So now we've transitioned in the Mishnah ultimately to a husband's obligation. So as Rebbe say, some really incredible sugyas ahead of us this week. Father is obligated to the Zoros of his wife. Tan Rabbanon says, fascinating. Take new Mizorosel, Tachos Maiseyadel. So Rebbe say, Chazal, Chazal went ahead and gave, gave the wife, I should say, instituted the obligation of Mizoros in, in reciprocity or like a quid pro quo for her earnings. So in other words, what's interesting about this, as you're going to see, is kind of like what came first over here. The way the Gemara is worded over here is what it sounds like is, since a husband gets his wife's earnings, Chazal went ahead and gave her mizonos. So we're going to see, in fact, that's, that's not really how it works. In other words, first, there's an obligation of mizonos. Husband is obligated to support his wife. But because a husband is obligated to support his wife, Chazal gave him the right to her earnings, which makes sense, because what's the idea over there? The idea is it helps to offset the expense of support. And I will say ultimately again, the halacha lamaisa, Rashi points out over here, literally again it means he has an obligation to bury her because he's entitled to her ksuva. Now what does that mean? Look at Rashi. Tachas ksuvasa, tachas hamedunya sheikh nisalo, the ksuva bishtara ksuva say, By the way, this is actually interesting because remember, nedunya, nedunya, dowry, is written in the ksuva. It's written in the ksuva. And I will say, we don't do this today, but what I will tell you what we do today is, what we do today is in the ksuva, in the ksuva, after we write the amount of the ikra ksuva, we also go ahead and we speak about the property, dan halas mi avuha. That's the lashon. Dan halas avuha. That she is bringing in from her father's home. So I will say, bismana gimara, even the ambassadors are gimara, they wouldn't just write that line, right? What would they write? What would they write? Right? V'dane dunya, that's what it is. V'dane dunya, tan halasemi be'avua. Then the dunya, the dowry was bringing from her father's home. So both say, so in, in the Zana Gemara, they would say, V'dane dunya, see Appendix A, see Appendix A, right? And we're going to itemize, itemize every single thing that the girl is bringing. By the way, not only are you itemizing, what else, what else is attached? See Appendix B, right? For evaluation, right? For an appraisal. Of, because remember again, husband is on the hook, well, depending on the nature of the nad, right? CFMXP C- C- for the appraisal, that, that would all be there. Since a husband gets the right to use all of this property and potentially also inherits it, depending on the order of, of death, ultimately again, therefore, he has an obligation to bury her. So the Gemara says, Therefore, a husband eats peros, right? Gets usage. The Gemara says, Peros, peros over here. You're right. There's a piece missing from the Bryce over here. Here's how you have to read it. Tiknu mizonosa tachas maiseyadeha. 
Chazal instituted Mizonos because of my said there. Rabbi say because he's obligated to support her, therefore he's entitled to her earnings. Upirkuna tachas peros. And Rabbi say a husband is obligated to redeem his wife if she ta- if she's taken captive because he enjoys peros of her property. So Rabbi say very interesting. So there was Chazal linking each of these things. Since ultimately again he enjoys peros, therefore he's or I should say. Because he has an obligation to redeem her, therefore he's given rights to Peros. Ukvurasa tachas ksuvasa. And ultimately, again, he enjoys, she enjoys the ksuva, which means the, the, the dowry property that she brings in, because he has the obligation to go ahead and bury her. Therefore, lefichach ba ocha Peros. Again, why do you need the word lefichach? My lefichach. So, what would you have thought is fascinating? So Ahmed thought that maybe we shouldn't let the husband eat the peros. In other words, he has a right to the peros, but what we should do is we should let the peros accrue. And both say, obviously, when we say let the peros accrue, it doesn't literally mean let a pile of fruit. What it, well, what it means is maybe we should kind of put the peros in escrow. Put in escrow. Why? Listen to this. The imkain, because we'll say, because the imkain mimna parik. Because maybe we're concerned, and therefore, what, hap- what happens if you put the peros in escrow? What happens if you do that? If she's taken captive, it's good news. What? That's not good news, she's taken captive. I mean, if she's taken captive, what is the good news? There's money to redeem her because you have the money in escrow. You have the peros in escrow. It's fascinating. Kamash Malan, Daha Adifa. I will say, the Gemara says, no, actually, it's better to let them enjoy the peros. Why? This is fascinating. Zimnin de la Malu, Because we'll say, what's going to happen? Because some, what happens if the escrow fund is not enough to redeem her? So what could happen? What could happen? Doesn't mean to say, well, sorry. We'll wait a little bit. It's okay. Hopefully the captors are nice. Right? I'm sure the money's going to accrue a little bit more. It shouldn't only be another harvest or two. Right? right? And what's going to happen? He's not going to redeem her. say If he's constantly and consistently enjoying the payros, he'll recognize that the price, so to speak, for that benefit is the redemption of his wife, and therefore he will redeem her at whatever the cost. So the Gemara says, the Epochana, in other words, we'll say, how do you know how to align which right with which entitlement? To which the Gemara says, They went ahead and they instituted that which is common for that which is common, and that which is uncommon for that which is uncommon. Take a look at Rashi, last two lines of Rashi. Mezonos The need to go ahead and support one's wife and earnings are common. So therefore, again, the right, the entitlement to earnings goes with mezonos. They're both common. Shavuya, right? On the flip side, ultimately, again, being taken captive and a woman having her own property are not as common. And therefore, they aligned those two rights with each other. We'll say the stop over here for today. Tomorrow, we're going to get in, we'll say incredible sugyas. Like, he's so listening sugyas out of us, speaking about the halachic rights and entitlements of marriage. Incredible week ahead. Shkoyach.